The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. That's your cue. Welcome to Drive Through Episode Number Thirty Two. This is our monthly recap where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. Now let's pull up to window number one for some news, just news. Oh shoot. That's leftover from season three. We're in season four now. Can you believe that? Season 40? Yeah, it feels like season. Feels like season 40 for sure. You know what else it feels like? Like I'm having one of these macho man, Randy Savage kind of season fours. I'm like, yeah, brother. Ric Flair in this thing. Like we really got to come into season four with a bang. Like, woo! Right? I mean, come on, you feel, you got the energy, I feel it. It's welling up inside me. We got to get this news out to people in an exciting way. You know, I feel some energy too. The energy I feel is more like NPR. Ah. Oh. Welcome to Drive Through episode 32. <laughs> Tanya's over there like, mm, there's just a disturbance in the force. No, these are always like as my bedtime approaches. So my energy level's not high. You asked way too much for the hour of the day. She's used to being a, an hour behind in Texas. So she had an extra hour. I know. It was so nice. That was life-changing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's snap into a drive-through, brother. Jesus Christ. Let's tap into our inner WWE, shall we? Back in my day, it was an F and not an E. But that being said, this month's showcase, we're going to talk about one of our favorite brands. Probably for the first time as an actual showcase rather than the next in line. BMW? <laughs> yeah, right. Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche. Is it Porsche or Porsche? There's different schools of thought on that. I've heard the car is a Porsche and the family is Porsche. But I could be wrong. Tomato, tomato. Is that one of those things where you have to own one to know how to pronounce it? Yeah, there's a secret handshake too. Because in that case, you should know. <laughs> it's like the in and out menu, right? There's all these secret things about being a Porsche owner. But you know what isn't a secret? We talked about this before. Scout, as in... International Scout. International Harvester, which we all thought belonged to Ford forever, was bought by Volkswagen. They own all that. And they're coming out with the Scout again, but as an EV. So apparently Scout, backed by Volkswagen, is going to build a $2 billion factory in South Carolina. Where did they come up with all this money? Didn't they lose more than that, like $15 billion during Dieselgate? How did they make it all back? How many billions did you get from Dieselgate? Because you had a few of those. <laughs> uh, I don't believe it was billions. <laughs> How many hundreds did you get from that? I mean, if we counted it in kilobytes, then maybe it was billions. You know what I mean? You counted in yuan or whatever yeah, yen, exactly. <laughs> Two billion pesos. <laughs> There's a follow-on article to this article from TechCrunch from Haggerty. Volkswagen is obviously talking about the Scout plant and what they're investing in it. And they're really bullish on bringing this vehicle back and you know how it's going to sell in the States because of nostalgia and everything else. But they also talked about how there's this, let's call it gold rush in America right now to build factories, especially for EVs in the United States. And so I'm like, really? 
Where are we building all these factories exactly? South Carolina and North Carolina. Not densely populated cities. The whole eastern seaboard compared to like the Midwest. Obviously the big three were building all their factories like in Ohio and Illinois and places like that. Why not move back to those areas where they almost need it more? Like I feel like building another plant alongside of BMW and Mercedes and everybody else that's in the Carolinas to include NASCAR. Does that make sense? I mean, it depends on how attractive the local establishment is making it for these companies to come and build these facilities. I mean, in the article here, it says that South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster, classic name, by the way, he's making it a priority to make his state an EV epicenter. And I guarantee you, having worked for quasi-government agency and being in the business of providing business loans and commercial loans to businesses using state and public funding, there's a ton of incentives to be had out there. It doesn't yeah. It depends on what the agenda is of the local municipality and what they want to do. If he's making it an EV epicenter, making that a priority, then he's going to prioritize state funding, incentivizing companies to come to his state. I'm just curious the drawbacks too. You know, you're building a factory. What's the green initiative look like there? How clean is the factory, right? Because it takes certain machinery and tooling and things that already exist today to create these, let's call them quote unquote, clean vehicles. So there's sort of a give and take there. I'm very curious to see how this pans out. They're claiming 200 thousand EVs a year coming out of the new Scout plant. That's exciting because I think it's a cool idea. I love to see these on the road. They're also talking about potentially competing with the Rivians of the world and the Broncos and the Wranglers and things like that. So the price point of this Scout is TBD at this point. I'm hoping they don't price the enthusiast out of the vehicle. If it's competing in those markets, it's going to be in the 40, 50, 60 range. Yeah. The Rivian, I think, is on the higher end of that. So that's the scary part. Like, hopefully they don't reach for that level and they keep it somewhere in between. Yeah, they'll have different levels, I'm sure. And they'll have different sized versions, I'm sure, too. They'll probably have like an equivalent to the Bronco Sport Mm -hmm. as well as the actual Bronco. I'm excited. I'm all for more off-road capable vehicles. Do you think this is going to be off-road capable? That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be rugged. U.S. market with a rugged, oh, electric vehicle. Don't they all say they're rugged? Until you actually take them off the mall parking lot, yes. So it depends. The Broncos are capable. Wranglers have been proven for decades to be capable. Yes, I believe that if that's the market they're going for, it damn well better be rugged. Absolutely. Well, switching gears, maybe they're paying for all this with the new Porsche 911 GT3 RS tribute package, supposedly honoring the iconic 1973 Carrera RS. What do you guys think? I hate the frunk. Thank you. The frunk lid, even just the regular base 911. I hate the little grill or whatever. I mean, I'm sure they're functional, the hood vents or the frunk vents. It looks like a Bajoran nose. Oh, <laughs> there is something really wrong with that hood. I agree with you. That scaffolding across the bridge of its nose does remind me now of a Bajoran. Now that you say that the bottom half of the bumper is reminiscent of the Taycan. It's kind of odd from the front. The rest of the car, I like the livery. I love the green, white, and black. It looks really cool. I do like the green and white, yeah. I don't know how I feel about the spoilers around the wheels. Oh, the canards? Yeah, front and back. Those are interesting. I mean, obviously they're there for a reason. They don't take away and they don't add. Because of the other black accents, I don't even notice them right away. And then you pointed them out and obviously they're there. I mean, what's more ostentatious is that rear wing. I mean, 
good lord if you couldn't feed a family of 12 on that thing it is huge and the weird fender arch too the weird cutout fender arch thing or whatever i don't know it's okay what i think they're doing is they're borrowing from the imsa 911 in that respect where it has that sort of cut rear fender and the way the bumpers come off on those cars so it reminds me of the legitimate gt3 cars so i don't hate it right does that mean it's mid-engine? Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it is? Manual. It comes with a manual transmission. Oh, so you won't see it on any racetracks then because they don't use manual cars in races. Uh, yeah, I know. Tanya discovered that, much to her chagrin. Yeah. You know what else is disappointing? You might be able to get two of these bargain at $314,000 after delivery and destination charges. It comes with a watch. <laughs> so you can tell how quickly you're wasting your money. So yeah. the watch is 300000 and then the car is 15000 The magnesium watch. So yes. Ooh. That stuff is all super cool. If you're in the market for that, God bless you. I'm going to be jealous from afar and live vicariously through every lap you turn at Watkins Glen with one of these things. It's coming to an HOD event near you. It is cool, except for that hood. In the further down pictures, the car that has the color matched hood, it still looks like a Bajoran, but it's not as hateful. It looks better. It looks though. better. If they would make just make it all white. Yeah, 100%. It would look nicer. In order to drive your 911 GT3 RS on track, you need to to put petrol in it because it's not an ev and porsche's got a plan for that too well what you would put in it eventually is porsche's plan to make their own e-fuels whatever that means in terms of it being their own. I mean, hopefully, obviously, if they're partnering with major oil and gas companies to fund, I guess, the process to make the e-fuels, I mean, hopefully it's not just a, a Porsche exclusive or something like that, right? But there's also other news that the European Union is looking to legalize e-fuels as an alternative to electric. I don't even know what that means because e-fuel is still gasoline. So gasoline's legal. Why wouldn't... Yeah, it's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> An e-fuel be legal. I mean, it becomes an e-fuel in the way it's manufactured is far allegedly greener than regular conventional gasoline. The point Eric was making about the EV plant and manufacturing these factories, building EVs isn't necessarily environmentally safe to begin with. I think the point is to be carbon neutral right. from start to finish, I guess. So whatever right. they damage they do, they make up for it on the back end or, or something like that. I think well, part whole... of it with the plants too is you need power to run them. Right. The power that you run your plants could also be from sustainable means so right. whether that's wind solar nuclear <laughs> they said that the plant itself is being run by like a single wind turbine or something like that right now because the e-fuel plant is still sort of in the building stages versus you know where they claim it's going to be in the future yeah i mean if they're doing a pilot scale plant they're not making huge quantities of it i'm sure they could probably have enough power generated from a single wind turbine and i think part of the real porsche announcement about them being successful and i think their pilot plant they're doing it down in south america in an area that's very very windy and they chose that on purpose which is interesting because that area is very very touristy let's say can be because it's like the hub point to some really big major hikes and beautiful landscape and area so part of me is like yes this is very cool we need to do this and the other part of me is like why are you doing it in such a beautiful place <laughs> 
nobody wants that in their backyard, right? Which is a classic thing with, you know, all oil refineries and things like that too. Everybody wants their oil, but they don't want it in their backyard. But I did find it funny as you scroll through this article and they show some of the shots of the beginnings of the plant. And one in particular, there's one of the tankers there. But if you pay close attention to the background of the building, you see the Porsche logo, you see Siemens, ExxonMobil, Enel, and a couple other companies on there. And I'm like, there's some big names, obviously putting their logos on the side of this building that are involved in this entire process of creating this quote unquote e-fuel. ExxonMobil and Porsche partnered with this already several years ago. They've been in the process of working together to develop this. That's not news. The process that they're using to do it isn't new. I mean, it might be new to the general masses, but it's old tech technically. So good on them if they're able to scale it in a more affordable way now than versus, you know, decades ago. You know, the question is how much will this fuel end up costing you at the end of the day as the consumer? Because talked about this in other places, gasoline and diesel are at this point byproducts of the refining process. It's not that refineries are just solely making gasoline. You make a ton of different chemicals, if you will, from the process, two of which go into our cars every day or in our planes or the lubricants that go into your engine oils and all that stuff, the asphalt that you drive on the road to the pen that you may or may not use if you still use paper. All these plastics and stuff in our daily lives are all byproducts out of the refining process. You can destroy gasoline molecules down further and use them to do something else, but that's expensive. And most of the equipment on the ground today isn't designed to do that. To go in and retrofit or redesign is very costly. So you get to a certain point where you can only do so much and then suddenly you're spending tons of money to solve a problem, you know, and that's going to just translate into the cost of things. So what they're doing here as well, they're going about a different route, but is it cost effective? And we won't know until they start scaling it up. It's great. And we should be looking for alternative means and more carbon neutral or greener, whatever you want to call it. Gasoline right now is, I don't know, depending where you are, three to $4 a gallon. People are upset about that. Well, what if they come around and they're like, we can have your e-fuel. It's $12 a gallon. I don't think anybody's going to go buy it. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, not saying that it's going to cost that much, but it's not going to be 12 cents a gallon because it's, oh, it's green, right? Well, not only that, if you read this article the way it's exactly written. It's only designed for 9-11s, for more than 700,000 9-11s alone. We've just completely disenfranchised every other Porsche owner on the planet. They are not allowed to have this fuel specially formulated only for the 9-11, which made me wonder, when does Ferrari come out with their fuel? And is it going to burn a little hotter? Is it going to make the car a little faster? Or is it just going to end in disappointment like every F1 race? They're going to call it puro sangue? They're going to string along carbon molecules to make octane. It's going to be the same. Same. <laughs> SSDB, right? Same ship, different bottle. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, and that's what I'm wondering. Porsche slaps their name on it. Kind of like the formula car they were building. Are you going to get an upcharge for that? I don't know. <laughs> That's why I'm like, they can't be just for them. They're linking carbon molecules together to make octane. Octane's octane at the end of the day. And beyond that, then everybody puts their additives in this, that, and the other. Shell V power, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? So are they going to make their own additives too that make it especially Porsche, especially racy? I don't know, because I thought it said it will work. It doesn't matter. You don't need a different motor or anything. It's just going to work. Yes, because it's octane. (laughs) The motor doesn't care (laughs) as long as it's getting it. If I pour it into 
to my four cylinder turbo and it suddenly sounds like a flat six. That's that Porsche-ness additive that they add. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's great. I love new technology. I love them trying new things. It's just a matter of can it be as affordable as what they're doing now. Since you like new technology so much, I think you have some you'd like to share. Since retro's in still, I think it's still in, right? It's still in retro? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't think we've moved out of that phase yet. So to continue riding that train, Volkswagen has said that their ID2ALL <laughs> model, their names are a little confusing, but the ID2ALL, which I don't think is coming to the United States, but that electric vehicle that they're going to have in Europe is going to have retro gauge options in the instrument cluster. So you could hearken back to a Mark One <laughs> instrument cluster or a vintage Beetle instrument cluster digitally in your car. There's good and there's bad here. The goods, I don't know if they necessarily outweigh the bads yet. So let's go over the goods. I love the fact that you can have like classic rabbit Chiraco dashboard and I'm hoping it has like the weird vacuum buzzer and the shift up light, even though this thing doesn't even basically have a transmission, you know, stuff like that. I think it's all super neat. I believe Ford was doing some of this too with the Maki, like you change the dashboard and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a really neat idea. But when you get to the radio, that's where you start to lose me. That was hilarious. The cassette, that like okay. drop in cassette. I'm like, I would have that. Okay. That is <laughs> cool. 1930s Beetle radio. Not a fan of that at all, but it all makes me wonder how reliable it is, how good it's going to be. It's completely touch. There are no buttons. And I've had some bad experiences with these sorts of things in the past. Yeah. You don't need the buttons. You don't need to worry about that if it's your instrument cluster because you generally never touch that. Yeah. There's like the pegs to reset mileage or to time clock, but we can do that differently now. But the radio and all that stuff being just a iPad. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. And I think neither are some other manufacturers that we're going to get into later. But it was Hyundai. So they're not a fan of it either because they said they want to keep going with the tactile buttons and all that stuff because it's unsafe to be floundering around trying to figure out what your touchscreen is doing and it doesn't touch because it's not sensitive enough or oversensitive and you're scrolling through 10 pages just to turn your radio station one dial. But the Volkswagen has the drop-in cassette and the sticky notes and stuff. How cool is that? I would have the drop-in cassette. <laughs> I actually really like the sticky note. I don't know why, but I thought the little post-it note and the added detail to scotch tape was really cute. I don't know. But I agree with Hyundai. I am all for the buttons. And it's one of the things I enjoy the most about the center console in my Jeep. The Uconnect for years was rated as one of the best MFI touchscreen systems, but it has complete button backups. So you don't have to touch the screen if you don't want to, to make everything work. And so I love the idea of the customizability of these setups, but it just scares me when something breaks, then it's 75,000 degrees outside and you can't turn on the air conditioning. What if it goes obsolete and they are not yeah. patching it anymore and there's yeah. no update. Now you're stuck. It got stuck on the VW Beetle 1967. <laughs> well, better radio. still, it's like your iPad and it says Apple no longer supports this operating system. We're uninstalling all your apps. So you're left with nothing. <laughs> Let's talk about the ID2 for a second. You said it might not be coming to the United States. Well, the ID2 all. Either way, I like it. 
it's what the golf should be. It's sort of bigger than the polo, but not as big as the limousine that we got that is the golf now. It sort of reminds me of like a Mark IV sized Volkswagen and it's very well proportioned. It looks good. This interior is cool that they're partnering with it, but bring us that car. I think that's a neat thing to have. And they probably won't bring it to us. Nope, never forget it. I feel like if they brought that, it would sell better than the golf. The golf's too big. Going the way the American market has gone with the crossovers and the Honda HRV and the Toyota thing that's smaller than a RAV4. It's basically a golf that's lifted. That's perfect for what the US market wants. I mean, I'm going to put on my great Karnak hat and, you know, the whole Johnny Carson bit now. And I'm going to tell you that the ninth generation GTI is actually a Tiguan. That's where we're going. I mean, to your point, Brad, right? They just keep getting bigger and taller. And I feel like the days of the classic hatchback are numbered. Every time I see a Mark 8 on the road, I'm like, when did it get so big? Not on the inside, though. How does that work? Ah, whatever. It's funny because they say the performance of this is on par with a GTI. Really? Obviously not fuel economy. It only has like a 280 mile range. I imagine the GTI does a little bit better than that. Probably not much. It's probably in the 300s, honestly. But if you're getting the same maybe horsepower zero to 60 that people love that's pretty good yeah. for twenty five thousand dollars. even though we're not getting the id2 there's a current collaboration for another ev coming out and it's a partnership between volkswagen and ford it's the Explorer SUV that's going to be built off the VW MEB platform. It sort of looks like an ID4, which is obviously the platform that it's built on top of. But I kind of like it better. It's better proportion. It doesn't look like a bad facelift. You know what I mean? Where they take a face and they try to stretch it back to your ears. It's just the, the ID4 has got a weird front end to it that I don't understand. But the Explorer being a little bit more blocky, I like the way it looks. I'm wondering what Ford is bringing to the table on this particular particular build outside of the aesthetics and the brand. But it's interesting to see two of the bigger players coming together. And the question is, why? Are they trying to take some market share away from Toyota? Are they worried about Tesla? What's going on here? Why all of a sudden is there a partnership between Volkswagen and Ford? Well, because Ford in Europe, because this SUV is going to be in Europe, it's not going to be the Explorer that eventually comes here. Right. So it has to be smaller because so far Europeans are still trending smaller, even though their cars are getting bigger too. Ford in Europe has always sort of had a big presence and a different presence than Ford in America. And Ford in America has been America. very much focused on America, the Lightning, which is a non-suitable platform. Yeah, that makes sense. For a small SUV. And so if they're looking to be quick and get into the market fast, then it makes sense. I don't know what the relationship is that makes it easy for them to partner, but it probably is a very easy way for them to quickly pump out a small SUV on a chassis that already exists versus them yeah. spending the time doing it. Makes sense. Curious to see how that pans out. Unfortunately, that might be another vehicle we just never get here. Maybe on our next European vacation, right? Well, you know, it can't all be sunshine and roses for Volkswagen, Porsche, and Audi. There's some want-want moments this month. Should we give our loyal audience a teaser into what to expect later, maybe in Florida Man and lowered expectations? Sure. I love the one that's going to piss everybody off. Oh, well, which one's that one? Well, I think the title of the article is a little misleading, but it says Volkswagen wouldn't help cops find car with abducted child until the GPS subscription was restored. 
third. Now, it really wasn't Volkswagen. It was a third-party vendor that Volkswagen contracts with called CarNet because they do the vehicle tracking service for the Volkswagen GPS system. So CarNet refused to give the information to the police until they renewed the subscription for the GPS. And how much was that renewal, by the way, for a GPS? $150. Which, when a child's life is on the line, I would have whipped out my personal credit card and been like, let's get this going. It depends on the kid. <laughs> and then reported it as a fraudulent charge. No, I'm just <laughs> Exactly. You put it on the corporate card. And it's really funny because there's different ways to look at this. I mean, nobody wants to get fired from their job. This person's just doing what they're supposed to. It's what the script says, blah, blah, blah. How can they verify that, you know, this is actually happening? I mean, unless the cop is there, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of ways to look at this, justify this, et cetera. But then on the other side, it's like, why is the GPS subscription so expensive? Again, why is it a subscription? Why is this even a thing? I feel like if this was OnStar in an emergency like this, especially dealing with a child, we wouldn't be having this conversation. They probably would have just done it. Obviously, they're a nationally recognized brand. They don't want this to be put out into the public like this, any sort of backlash. But then I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, for 25 bucks, you could put an AirTag in your car. It's not just Volkswagen and whoever Volkswagen's using to partner. I don't know what on star would do or not do because they're a whole other third-party entity right because toyota behaves the same way so i know someone who had their car stolen they had just recently within a month or two the gps subscription had lapsed or whatever and they had called toyota asking can i get it reestablished so that i can find my car and they said no they would not they refused i don't know how hard the person tried because i would have been like trying really hard i mean he offered to pay they still refused so i don't know how onstar would react but it's something in the script for these companies and to your point how do they know someone's not just bullshitting oh my car's stolen they're standing outside some rando's car hoping that they get the one person to unlock the doors remotely it needs to be like when picard would put in the override code picard alpha beta 037 you know whatever and then they go oh okay that's the unlock code we're good like the cops need to have that in a situation like that get your law enforcement involved and maybe they can override these companies and script be damned the bigger concern here is a child was involved kidnapping it's like come on guys you're slowing the process down i have the solution they need 2fa so they needed to like yeah. 2fa the police send them a special code that they typed in so they knew it was the police and then unlocked it and been like just send me an invoice <laughs> exactly you are a problem solver excellent work Ugh, 150 bucks for gps why is it a subscription to begin with i don't understand why do you need a subscription for heated seats Exactly. Why do you need a subscription for any of this bullshit? Volkswagen has not stooped to that level yet. Yet. That is a BMW. But they thing. did with the GPS right here. Do you know what day is coming up? 420. 4-1. What usually <gasps> happens on 4-1? Oh, no, no. We get an update on the Corvette SUV. No, they're going to change the name to Volkswagen again or whatever. Oh, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. We don't know what it'll be this year. It'll be exciting. We should be on the lookout. We'll post that in Discord. So if somebody finds out before we do. It'll be Volkscription. Well, this next one, I think, is borderline Florida, man, because I don't get the lifestyle, guys. VW Golf slammed so low it can't refuel without taking a wheel off. Come on. I don't understand the lifestyle either. I don't understand how the car moves. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't have any fuel. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But at least this one in this particular picture, I mean, it looks like it's riding on the, the rim. I mean, they're so stanced. It's like, are you even a millimeter of tread and you're just scraping the rim the whole way? Like, how does the car even move? Dude, that car is parked hard hard you hit a cigarette button what i don't know it's the end of the world you bust a tooth the folks that do it i I don't want to say they do it right but the way i've seen it done is the car is on bags and they can lift it back up so it drives normally it'll still have some stance no i've read that like bag life is something different you don't cross the two i think bag life is posing parking hard baby my question is how do you get negative 40 degrees of camber like this guy has i mean it's just where's the shock tower in in this car that's what i want to know what spring perch in shock tower <laughs> what are these like foreign car parts that you're talking about they don't exist it's just welded to the inside of the fender basically yeah yeah it's just a just straight axle welded i do love the subtitle for this stance can be good until it compromises basic safety yeah basic safety any of that over camber any of that is compromising safety when you're on a street road like i'm sorry you're not at the track that you need to have the camber through the turns but even there nobody runs this kind of camber no because you would skid off the track no traction no grip <laughs> them skitter cars Could you imagine the amount of suspension deflection you would have if you had to have this amount of camber imagine going into the carousel <laughs> You'd probably obliterate into pieces. Dude, you would just stop right on it like it was like a sandbar or something. Like it just would beach itself there. There's no way. You wouldn't make it out of the pit with that kind of stance. There's just, ugh. The funny part is though, on this article, I read through some of the commentary. That's always the best. Oh, it's wonderful. So one thing I learned is that the rest of us who don't stance are known as static. So it's static struggles that we have. What? Do you want to like go for it? Because my static struggles are going to win. <laughs> Every time. The first off ramp and this guy is done. I don't have struggles. I don't know what that means. The other great comment was this guy defending. Apparently he's got a shop and so he does a lot of stance work and fixing people's cars and all that stuff. Because I assume these cars break down all the time. But nonetheless, like seeing someone admit to this and I quote, Hell, I have one myself that I literally replace my subframe every three months. What? Can you imagine? No. You're effing up your subframe and having to replace it every three months? I want more information. Like, is this you drove it three times? You drove it every day? You drove it once? (laughs) That is beyond comprehension. Let me continue because this guy, it's all about the love and doing what you have to get the look you want. It's funny. Some people think they only do this for show, then raise their car back up. That's what airbags are for. See? See? The whole reason of being static is, quote, driving it like you park it. Oh, yeah. I have a slam Chevy Aveo with negative 14 front and negative 20 rear camber. So us static people just want to drive it like we're parking it. No, I want to drive it like I can fucking drive it. <laughs> so if that's the static life, I'm 150,000% hashtag static. 
We need some t-shirts. Hashtag static. That's a good idea. Static struggles aren't real. I'd love somebody to educate me on Stance Life. I'd love to see one of these cars up close, how they're built. I can only speculate on the type of engineering involved to make this successful. You mean buffoonery? Well, duct tape was used on this car as the fuel cap. (laughs) Because we know duct tape is not impacted by something like gasoline splashing on it. But you know, hey, we spent money to have our rear calipers powder coated pink, but not the money to have our gas tank filler relocated. All jokes aside, I've seen plenty of show cars where things like the filler neck are hidden or relocated, but a lot of thought is put into those hot rods to make that happen. I know of one in particular, open the trunk and the filler neck is on the inside. Yeah, maybe not the best thing with fumes or whatever, but it's a show car. It gets trailered to most places, you know, stuff like that. It's also parked hard. It's super low. It's not stanced out like this, but the extra thought was put into to wait i gotta put gas in it because i do have to move it every once in a while i think i know the car you're talking about so say like this was just a stance show car how would you even pull this on a trailer (laughs) that's what the bags are for oh wait never mind but apparently not hey you know who doesn't have these struggles static static life 99 problems and static life ain't one (laughs) oh We're living the good life over here. Static town. The high life. We need some racing <laughs> stickers made. Who's your sponsor? Static. Is that Stasis? No. Static. Static. <laughs> static Motorsports. We're renaming the team now. Well, folks, we have to move on from Volkswagen Audi Porsche news on to our domestic segment sponsored by AmericanMuscle.com, your source for OEM and performance Chevy, Ford, and Mopar parts. So we kick off with van life. Did you see how much camber this van has? This thing's wild. Like maybe three degrees. Three <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe> degrees. <laughs> Wait, they didn't put negative twenty no. on the rear. How's it go so fast then? I would love to see that GTI go up Pikes Peak like this nineteen hundred and seventy-three horsepower Ford Supervan did is now the record holding. Fastest van on the planet. Fastest van, yes. Yes. As Clarkson, Hammond, and May used to say I'm Top Gear, what's the fastest car in Europe? A Ford Transit van. Well, you know what? Al's the fastest van? A Pikes Peak. You know what's a shame? And the first thing I thought of was that we will never see this on the Nürburgring driven by... Sabine Schmidt. Mm-hmm. She would have had a field day with it. Almost 2,000 horsepower. Can you imagine this thing coming up in your rearview mirror? Get the hell out of the way you wouldn't see it by the time you saw it behind you it would already be in front of you dude this thing is incredible i mean i love stuff like this this is awesome it's a little skittish looking though it looks like a ford gt the back end the with the cutouts for aerodynamics and stuff it's awesome i'm in the market for a van this looks pretty awesome the video is fantastic no it looks cool but like watching the goodwood video i'm like Man, you felt like it was like on the cusp of being wildly unstable. That's how Eric likes to drive. Well, here's the best part. This is a legitimate run up the peak. It set the record for obviously its class. It was driven by a three-time Le Mans winner who also currently holds the Pikes Peak record from 2018 in the Volkswagen IDR. It's not like this was just like a publicity stunt. Like this is legit. So basically, if you want a world record at Pikes Peak, you just hire this driver to do it for you. And do it in a van sliding doors sliding doors i haven't seen an suv run up pike's peak 
I want to see the Tesla Semi do it. Well, you're going to be waiting a while, okay? So <laughs> and it's going to cost you your down payment on your Cybertruck. I agree with Tanya, though. It looks very on the cusp of going into the wall. Let me put it in perspective for you. I know it's not the same company. Paint it black and then put a red stripe all the way up to the tail. Tell me this isn't the new 18 van. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. All I request from turn 10 is that this van be put in Forza to yeah. the next Forza game. Turn 10, if you're listening, I know you're listening. Please, please put this in there. Well, you know what else they need to add to the next Forza game? And I don't say this often about trucks, but this 2023 GMC Cyclone that they're proposing Come on, Tanya. You don't like trucks. This is hot. Super cool. Uh, I don't like the hood. What? There's a lot happening on the front. <laughs> very, very gaudy. I hate the hood. I feel like y'all just farted in church. Like, what are you talking about? This thing is incredible. This is one of those, like, if I do this, I'm like, yeah, I love the rear, the tailgate, and the fender flaring there. Solid. Very boxy. So it's very, like, old school. And then the front. If I did this, and I'm holding up my hand covering the front half, and now I'm covering up the back half. The front, I'm like, it's any other GMC, and there's just a lot of grill there, and a lot of hood scooping for no reason, presumably. Look at that front-on shot. It's like the fourth or fifth picture down, the one just before they have the picture of like the autumn leaves and all that kind of stuff. Look at that front end. It looks just like a happy little Rottweiler. It wants to see you. It wants to nuzzle you. Like this truck is just aggressive, but sort of docile at the same time. Like I would drive this truck. I would drive the hell out of this truck. How can you not say that this is cool? I like it from every angle, but the front. What? Brad, come on, Brad. You know, in my long-term plan is to build a sport truck like this, but it's going to be a lot more understated. I do dig the fender flares. I like the wide bodiness. I just don't like that hood i've never been a fan of like the hood scoops on that from the gto to this to the trans am i just i'm not a fan. that's ram air dude ram air i, I understand I, I understand personally i just don't like it aesthetically it, it's any consolation the front of the original cyclone is nothing to write home about either it's pretty boring it's, it's an s10 basically whatever it is gmc sonoma we can't have this truck you know why it's way too static <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I love it. It looks like a 400 higher in the back of that thing. Do we know how much it's going to be? 75,000. That's a bargain. It's not actually for sale. I don't think that's the price. They're not actually building it, are they? It's proposed. It's a teaser, whatever. They're saying zero to 60 in three seconds. What's up? Twin turbos, all sorts of fantasy things that'll probably never come to fruition. But again, make this. Take my money. Take it now. Wow. Awesome. You can keep all your Zs and all that other stuff. This is cool. You heard it here first, folks. I am voting for a truck. All right. On that note, you know, we talked about the lap record at Pike's Peak with the Ford Supervan. Well, Chevy's setting some records too. They did a new lightning lap in the Z06. It currently holds the LL3 class record. Yay. What? Okay, cool. This is the whole thing with car and driver, right? They have their test track. It's sort of the equivalent to the top gear, you know, lightning lap that they would do. So car and driver is kind of trying to pick up the torch and do the same thing. Like, oh, where does this next car end up on the list you know that kind of thing do we go by old lady's house and you know all that stuff that they were doing i mean the new z06 is a phenomenal car it makes a jillion horsepower it's you know a watered down version of the race car okay i didn't expect it to not beat pretty much everything else that's out but 
you look at some of the things that are on the list and I'm like, okay, the Nissan GTR, they stopped making that how long ago? The Dodge Viper SRT10 ACR. Well, we know those are still for sale new at every Chrysler dealership that Brad looks into, but that's in the same class. They stopped making that car seven years ago. Oh my God, a Mosler. Like how old is that? This class is sort of weird in the sense that it's like, great. The Corvette now has the record against a bunch of cars that are like 10 years its senior in order to get power into that proposed GMC Cyclone, which we know is never coming. GM confirms that a new small block V8 is coming. And again, here we go. We're talking about electrification, 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 and GM's working on a sixth generation small block. I don't even know what to say. I guess maybe I'm like a proud papa. Yeah, GM, you go. Because we know that Stellantis has bowed out. We're not building any more muscle cars, although the electric charger is coming. So now GM steps into their role and says, move out of the way, guys. We're going to bring you another 350. Well, somebody needs to make internal combustion engines throw in those e-fuels. Will this run on the Porsche fuel? Will it be compatible? I don't see why not. Well, if that wasn't enough, Chevy also unleashed a 1,004 horsepower Copo Camaro listed as a $136,000 drag racing weapon. I keep seeing that as COPD Camaro. You know what bugs me about this is the same thing we've talked about before. 632 cubic inches. If anybody wants to do the mental gymnastics on that and convert it to the metric system, it's 10.4 liters out of a naturally aspirated V8. I think to myself, 10.4 liter V8 and it only makes a thousand horsepower well in the case when it comes to like trucks and stuff like that and they've got these big motors and they're not producing as much power as a bmw or mercedes with a motor half the size i think it's due to i guess the longevity of the motor and they're tuned and the compression is as such to make it so the vehicles last a long time they're not wind out completely right but this is a drag car the whole point of this thing is to go as fast as possible in a short amount of time why can't they get more power out of it it doesn't make any sense to there's that too. And is it just a numbers game to say that they have, what, three more horsepower than the Demon and they did it without a blower? What are you talking about without a blower? There's a blower on this thing. It says naturally aspirated. That's not a roots type blower on the top. It's a Magnuson blower, isn't it? No, it says no blow. There's something on the top of that motor. Is that just air intake? Well, then they lied in this article because it says naturally aspirated. So that makes it worse. We got to get down to the bottom of this. We got to put our sleuthing hats on because my eyes are telling me that that is a fucking supercharger on the top. If that's the case, that's even worse. Yes, you're right. The picture does say Magnuson and that probably is a supercharger on top there although i don't see a way to actuate that i just see a throttle body and, an, and a ram intake so that might just be a magnuson intake yeah maybe let's say it was supercharged which the article i don't think it is that's not great either and you're only making three more horsepower out of this v8 and the hemi is so much smaller in the demon and even there it's like okay great but gm here you go again five years too late dodge already did this why do we even care yeah i don't know much about car scoops but but pretty sure that they should not have used, unless that's a picture from the old Copo Camaro. They might have just taken a picture and thrown it up there. You never know. Okay, well then, if they're going to be in the car industry and they're going to write articles about cars. So, okay, I'm looking at the pictures. There's one without a supercharger, and then there's one with a supercharger. And then there's one with a carburetor. 
So what, the, <laughs> what is this? What are you doing? None of it really matters because as Tanya is going to tell us, GM's doing the hokey pokey with the Camaro anyway. So all of this is moot. We've all heard that the sales aren't great. So they're going to discontinue it. And so that sounds like it's official that it will be gone after 2024, but a successor is already in the works. This is quote, not the end of Camaro's story. Is the Camaro going away or not? How can it be axed, but still have a story? What's the sequel here? Is it the Camaro Blazer? Are we going to badge an SUV with the Camaro name like Mustang? Is that going to be the next Camaro? Uh, Yes. I think I just threw up in the back of my throat. Why? No. Uh, This is just like the Corvette SUV thing. I'm like, no. Badge engineering. I mean, why don't we just say we're not going to have a 2025 model your Camaro let it be like we're not making a new one and then eventually in five ten years we'll bring it back because what's old is new again right and the Camaro will be hotness again what it is is the pony wars are over usher in the donkey trials because that's where we're gonna end up with a bunch of mules horrible Uh, well, look for your Camaro SUV starting in 2025. Bye bye, Camaro in 2025. But the 2024 model year technically starts in August, September timeframe. So, does the Camaro disappear this summer at the turn of the new year? Or do we get a whole nother year, a whole nother summer out of the six gen Camaro before it finally goes away? I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I saw a Camaro on the road. That's true. You don't see them that often. Maybe everybody's holding on to them. They've all turned into garage queens. Who knows? Maybe. If they are hiding in garages, Ford has an answer to that, especially if you don't make your payments. They have patented a self-repossessing car technology to have their cars drive themselves away, taking another job away from hardworking people. Alternatively, also, the car could drive itself to a junkyard if it costs too much to be repossessed. No, are you serious? (laughs) I mean, I guess they could drive it anywhere they want off a cliff. I mean... (laughs) They're not saying that they're going to do this or install this software, but apparently they've come up with the technology. And so, of course, they've thrown their patents on it to block other people from this. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Like everything's remotely controlled. Well, I know Tesla did this where you could call the car to come to you kind of thing, which was reminiscent of 1988 Batman, where he summons the Batmobile and it just drives to him wherever he was. Well, the Ram does something similar. It's got stalker mode and the truck will follow behind you like a puppy. Are you serious? No, I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah, I learned something new every time we get together. I forget what it's called. I'm making fun that it's called stalker mode. It's something akin to that. And it's literally because they expect this to be a construction site vehicle, the new Ram EV. And so while you're out walking across the site, you can set the truck to follow you at a slow speed and hope it doesn't run you over. I was going to say, what happens if you trip and fall? Does it just plow over top of you? If you're going across the construction site and you want your truck to go with you, why don't you just drive? It. <laughs> We're too good for that now, Brad. Nobody drives anymore. We're like dinosaurs. We actually touch our steering wheels. I'm going to spend $80,000 for a truck to have it follow behind me. What sense does that make? In fairness, they could be doing a walk down of something where they need to be closer to the equipment, but the car could be following down the path and meet them at the other end. You know what else would work? If you park your $85,000 truck in a safe location where it might not get damaged, and use the golf cart that's on the construction site to go wherever you're going. (laughs) 
Can you train the truck to roll over and sit and stay too? If you're that Hummer driver from last month, you could just roll it right off an embankment. <laughs> yeah, you can teach it to roll over. Sorry, I digress on Ford's patent to repossess your car remotely. Because none of that matters. What boggles my mind is that we're wasting the thought energy on this kind of shenanigans versus putting it towards something else that would be more beneficial to the automotive industry. How to protect ourselves from AI. That's what we need to do. Bro- Robot revolution is coming. What if you're in the car while it's being repossessed? Yeah, I didn't think about that. I guess you're going on a joyride. <laughs> Are you like locked in there, babe? Let me out. It's like Kit when it would lock the doors and go into pursuit mode, right? It's like, boom, done. You better pay your bills, people. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you can see that follow behind option being good for the cops. You know, when they're chasing the guys in Florida on foot on their lawnmowers, then the police car can just follow behind the officer until they're ready to detain them. And then they don't have to walk them all the way back in a drunken stupor to the backseat of their Explorer. See the trickle effect of this technology? It's a lot better to have the car follow them than to just drive it. Well, we're going to switch to Asian domestic news, as we like to call it, that encompasses our Japanese brands, Koreans, and, and others. And I thought this next bit was pretty shocking, if I do say so myself. It's a bit of a turn. So it says Toyota CEO says that, quote, silent majority of auto industry is doubting EV-only future. Which is interesting because Porsche said it's not abandoning its ICE engines, right? And they're sticking their money where their mouth is because they're developing e-fuels and partnering with left, right, and center to do that. But I also thought I read something recently that BMW has turned about face and said that they are going to also keep investing in internal combustion engines. So the pendulum is swinging back to some degree. Because it's not the panacea we all thought it was going to be. Maybe, just maybe. If only the governments would get on board with reality. Yeah, no, they're too busy trying to ban state by state the sale of new petrol cars and craziness Mm. like that. And coming from Toyota, this could be a misleading headline because we're taking it, we're assuming, oh, EV only future, you don't believe that. So that means ICE engine. Well, Toyota has hybrids, Toyota has hydrogen engines, right? Those are all non-EV only. So what are they really talking about here? Are they just talking about a future where you have multiple options and a mixed bag and you have proper use cases for the different technology which i think is appropriate there's no one size fits all and there's no one solution for everybody i think you need different types for different markets agree if you look at toyota's lineup right now do they actually have a full EV or is it mostly hybrids? They're all hybrid. I don't think they have a full EV at all. It doesn't sound like they even plan on producing one. No, because the BZ4X, I believe is what the hell is that? All electric. And that's kind of like RAV4-ish. So another one of these compact crossover mini SUV thingies. I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Maybe that about face that you're talking about, Tanya, which we've all sort of suspected at the end of the day was probably going to happen anyway when they can't harvest any more lithium or whatever else. Maybe it is a stall tactic to develop a synthetic fuel to come up with an alternative hybrid, to come up with hydrogen that's stable at room temperature and, you know, non-volatile and God knows what else, you know, all these things that are being developed out there and somebody's got to be first to market. Right now, I think the easy button is EV. And I've been thinking that for a while, right? It's like, oh, well, it's like a remote controlled car. Throw some batteries in it, runs till they run out, put some new batteries in it, keep running it. If it was that simple. Yes. But these other technologies 
are still being developed. There are a lot longer term, more positive solution, especially some of the hydrogen solutions that are out there. I think I'm with the silent majority on this one. I don't think EV only is the future. I think like you've said many times before, there is room for all different types of drivetrains and power plants in this ecosystem. It's just a matter of which one you're more comfortable with at the end of the day. I think you'll like this one since you were so excited about the... The N75? N74. Vision! No, but even the other end, the EV6 end or whatever. Oh, the Saab? The car shows, like the N-Kona were super cool. Well, everyone liked the Ionique 5. (gasps) No, don't tell me. Won't you like an Ionique 5N even better? Yes, I would. That's awesome. So it's still in camo mode, so they haven't fully released kind of how they'll tweak the body and all that stuff. But apparently it's going to have like drift mode. (laughs) That's awesome. Now the question becomes, when is Terry Neuville going to drive one of these and complain about it on the WRC stage? They don't have a lot of information on it, though, because it's still kind of in development. They are saying it should be around 600 horsepower. What? awesome that'll be really interesting to see how that all lines out (laughs) now since we're talking about the ionique 5 i shared a photo with you guys in our jdm channel on discord is that actually the way the rear hatch of the ionique opens please tell me that's actually a broken car i've never seen the trunk open on one of those i was not aware that it slides up over the roof that is bizarre this is a question i have like why reinvent the wheel i mean what was wrong with two little air shocks and a hinge now you're making the rear hatch slide up over a glass roof i mean it could still be a hinge mechanism that lifts and folds the arms back down on its and then come to a stopping point on the roof, I guess. It's hard to tell what the mechanism is from the photo. But yes, at the end of the day, we don't need laser beams for windshield wipers, case in point. Uh, Okay, but let's just say I'm the type of person that likes to have like a tool roof rack. And I want to put some extra camping gear in there because not everything fits in my Ionique 5 because I have two extra passengers with me. How exactly does one get to the beer cooler in the trunk with the tool roof rack on? You don't. Oh, okay. But I also believe that there's something bizarre about that photo because I think in a quick search of Ionique 5 trunk... They all live normally. So I do not know what the heck that person maybe modified it. Oh, I see. We get the static version. That's the trunk that opens normally. That's a stance trunk right there. When you you put 27 degrees of camber on that thing, you need the trunk to go up over the roof. That's special. Well, speaking of not understanding, I feel like the EV market is constantly changing. Every time we turn around, they're talking about shifting the dates as to when petrol cars are going to be banned. States are talking about banning on a local level, whether or not petrol cars can even be sold. How does this affect the used car market? We know the prices on Bringer Trailer are already astronomical. It's absolutely insane. But there might be a little bit of hope for all of us. There was a new bill introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives to prevent the ban of ICE-powered vehicles. It's headed up by Pennsylvania Republican John Joyce. He introduced House of Representatives Bill 1435, and it's titled Preserving the Choice in Vehicle Purchases Act. And the bill is designed to protect Americans' rights to choose the technology that powers their motor vehicles. It was introduced in response to the CARB, or the California Air Resources Board's plan to ban the sale of new internal combustion engines by 2035. And there's a lot of other states
states that are following suit. I say right on. I don't see why the government should be dictating what kind of cars we buy. You vote with your wallet, as people say. If you want to buy EV, buy an EV. If you want to buy a carbureted car, buy a carbureted car. I don't have a problem with it, but I'm glad that somebody's doing something about it. And you can learn more about it on the Performance Racing Industries website in conjunction with SEMA. So you can go to performanceracing.com to check it out or check the link in our show notes to learn more about this new bill that hit the House floor on March the 14th. What did you learn about the insurance companies and electric vehicles there, Tanya? Well, it sounds kind of scary because they're basically saying some pretty minor fender benders can basically just total your car. (laughs) Meaning what would have been minor and repairable on a traditional powered vehicle is suddenly a big issue because you do not fully understand whether or not the batteries have been compromised in any way, which is obviously very dangerous because you don't want a situation where suddenly they burst the flames or another small impact creates an issue. So that's a problem. These cars getting into fender benders and then just basically being written off and ending up in scrapyards. And now this whole was supposed to be super good and helpful to the environment and you've got all this waste. Not to say that ice engines don't end up as waste in junkyards too, but there's far less precious metals that were harvested and put into them. The more disturbing thing reading through this was around the, in general, insurance and premiums and things like that because it sounded like, well, here's another reason why the rest of us have higher insurance premiums is because there's people driving around in EVs that nobody knows what to do with them. Nobody knows really how the insurance breakdowns work and are they really being scrapped when they shouldn't be and that's just higher cost and this, that, and the other. I'm like, you know what? Then I'm glad Tesla has its own insurance. Y'all go figure that out yourselves and don't make me pay more just because you have an EV. Goes back to sort of the legislation part of the conversation, what I'd like to see happen is maybe some legislation passed to force the insurance companies to separate the rates between the ICE folks and the EV folks, because I don't want to pay for their issues because I'm still driving an ICE car. And I get it. If you get a small scratch on these batteries and you got to total the car, it's like the clamshell on a Lotus Elise. You get the slightest ding in it and they total the whole car because of the way it's made. And we shouldn't be beholden to that. I get it. The bills are high. You know, you got to write off an $85,000 EV. Well, something's got to give here. That's not my fault. I didn't make you go buy that $85,000 car. Exactly. But then again, why are these things $85,000? Like you've created this whole weird ecosystem, but then it's all disproportionate now. Because what happens when the Tesla hits me and weighs five, six thousand pounds and comes at my less than three thousand pound Volkswagen like a torpedo and crushes it, I'm not going to get jack. They're going to end up totaling the Tesla because of unforeseen damage to the batteries and all that kind of thing. But I walk away with what? My premiums are not commiserate to the type of payout that they're going to receive. So in my mind, it's like you total my car, you're going to give me 50 bucks. It's always been that way. I don't ever see it as fair. We pay all this money into these insurance systems. You actually need the money which is supposed to help you either fix or buy a new car. 
They're like, you can't have your money. What are you talking? We're not going to give you any. You're going to give me 50 bucks. You know, I don't know. It's like legal thievery. The other part of the article, I, I found there was a, just a snippet in there that was like, well, you know, but really, this is really a small percentage of these EVs that are ending up in this manner because EVs are generally safer than ICE. They are involved in fewer accidents because of all this technology. I'm like, really? Because as far as I know, the technology is forward facing. So if some person comes barreling at you from behind, or sideswipes you don't think the nannies do a damn thing for you they're equally able to be in an accident as anybody else yeah they're vulnerable just like anything else yeah yeah and people can turn those nannies off so if they're driving it like anything else then they're as vulnerable as anything else so don't give me that excuse oh well this is really not like okay sure and that's the other thing i wonder about all these sensors and, and lidar and radar and all this stuff that they're using on these cars especially in traffic to your point all those sensors on the front of the car. So when does it switch over to the point where now you're liable as the ICE driver because maybe you change lanes too closely to the autonomous self-driving level 15 torpedo that just hit you and now it's your fault. Because it used to be like in the old days, if you got rear-ended nine times out of 10, the other driver was at fault just because of, you know, you needed to be paying attention, stopping distances, all like some things can't be overcome. But in this case, they can be like, well, the data from the sensor shows that you were six inches closer than is recommended when you change lanes in front of that vehicle. I wonder how all that's going to play out, how the technology is going to be manipulated by the insurance companies the further we go along with all this stuff. What a hot mess. Like, I don't envy the actuaries or whoever it is that is in charge of figuring out these insurance tables and all this stuff, because I'm sure it can't be fun. But please don't pass the price down to us. But fun fact, since you mentioned LIDAR. Oh. So I had an interesting revelation last night, actually, as I was driving home in the evening hour. So it was dark outside. It was on three lane divided highway, cruise control, money, own business, very light traffic, handful of us on the road. I had a radar detector in the car. It was on. And all of a sudden it started going off laser. And it's a very shrill noise when that happens. And so it was going off like bells and whistles, I like to say, because that's what it sounds like. I didn't really need to slow down because I wasn't doing anything offensive, right? I wasn't worried, but obviously I was looking around and, okay, I don't see anybody. Laser works. It has to be targeted at you. So normally the guy's got the gun and he's pointing at you and that's when the laser registers. I'm looking around. It goes off again. It goes off again. And I'm like what in the world? There's nobody around. By now I should have passed somebody or should have seen taillights up ahead, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, one car in front of me, there's a car behind me. And I recognized it right away because of the shape of the headlights. It was a lucid air. Oh. And I was like, oh, interesting. There's a lucid behind me, you know? Oh, cool. And as I'm freaking lasers going off. <laughs> over and over again and he's slowly creeping closer and closer behind me and then he gets over changes lanes goes around me it all stops he goes in front of me it's all gone and i went oh my goodness he was self-driving or something it's using some sort of nanny and the laser was beaming at me and the radar detector was incessantly picking it up because he was shooting lidar at me and then i realized 
all the times that it's going off on K-band, which it does in the most random places when you're on the highway, which makes no sense because there's absolutely no one around and no reason for it to be going off, a lot of the other nannies of the self-driving and the automatic cruise control and all that stuff and all these EVs are operating off of K-bands and things like that. It's all being picked up by your radar detector. So what you're saying is now the radar detector has a dual purpose, A, picking up Buford T. Justice hiding in the bushes, but also the Tesla that stalking you in traffic that's not actually driving their car. Exactly. So now that torpedo coming at you, you have an early warning indication. <laughs> oh, it's like a submarine. It's like torpedoing. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Dive. Oh God, get out of the way. Let me change lanes for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay because the steering wheels are falling off the model wise they wouldn't Ooh. be able to hit you anyway when i realized what happened at lucid air i wanted to get back in front of him and see if it was like, to confirm and be like yes it's going off again it's definitely his lidar but i wasn't gonna accelerate in case there was a, a real threat out there <laughs> well you did some textbook research to verify it so it's all good well, before we get into Tesla Gate, let's hit up Brad's favorite section, Lost and Found, where he scours the internet looking for the newest old car available on dealership lots. Please tell me that Cadillac is still out there. Yes, the Cadillac Gray is still Chevrolet. there. Gray mm-hmm. Chevrolet. We need to get them as a sponsor. I mean, how much free airtime have we given Gray Chevrolet at this point? <laughs> Apparently none, because no one's buying that car. They're not getting any business from us. Don Weberg, if you're listening, there is 88 to fill with your name on it. It's not an Alante. He's not interested. Oh, that's true. He's not interested. That Ford GT is still out there at the low, low, low price of $450,000. I swear it's come down. Every time we talk about that car, the prices come down. Nope, 450. That's it. The only thing new on here, new, new to the list, is a 2004 Nissan Xterra XE V6 at Beck and Maston Kia. None of that was exciting. Not at all. There's a couple Dodge Avengers, a Fiat 500. Yeah, no Dodge it. darts. All right. Well, whatever. Maybe in April, as we get all our showers in preparation for our Mayflowers, something will blossom in the used car market. I wonder where you were going with that. Maybe somebody will buy that Cadillac after all. But it's time. You know what time it is? Tesla gate time. Oh. We would be remiss. That's what time it is. Tesla gate. Wait, what? How dare you? They've never had to recall a single vehicle ever. I think this finally counts as a <laughs> This recall. has to. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. They don't want to count any of the software because it's software. They don't want to count any of the other stuff as recalls. But I think this is definitely a recall. When you forget to put the steering wheel lock pin bolt in, and so your steering wheel comes off. <laughs> I don't think a software over-the-air patch fixes this one. Nope. Is it a recall if the owners all die? Ooh. Well, I don't think anyone was severely injured which aisle and bin at home depot do i get the lock pin for the steering wheel their local home depot was sold out aisle 12 it's somewhere between the cabinet knobs and the schlage locks you'll find the lock pin for the steering wheel but yes in fact model y's have a reported defect of over 120,000 models that have been sold wait they sold that many apparently wow but yes there is a defect because the steering wheel is basically held on via friction so a hard enough pull force will disengage it from where it should be to tesla's credit we know somebody that went on track in a miata that had a similar setup and survived watkins glenn so i'm just gonna leave it right where 
where it is. It's doable. Flip the car really quickly into autopilot or, you know, whatever self-driving. I mean, the steering wheel doesn't need to be attached if you're not steering touching Steering wheel doesn't it. need to be attached for it to drive itself, I would imagine. Exactly. Exactly. Well, last time we talked about Tesla Gate, we were on the precipice of Investor's Day. Yes, we were. So what came of Investor's Day? What is Brad going to buy? How much more Dogecoin is he going to spend? Apparently are saying that they're going to release a $20,000 Tesla. I've heard this before. Yes, it's the $30,000 one, but now they can do it for $20,000, I think because they made it smaller. Oh, they cut the rear end off of it. It actually looks like they cut it where the rear door should be and then just push the front and the rear together. Tell me you don't think that what I just described is not that photo. Oh, that's different than the other one that they showed. Who knows? They're all like weird spy photos. Yes, the original one was like this weird golfish Corolla thing. looking thing with four door. This next photo is like missing the rear doors and it looks like chopped together. I mean, this one would make more sense for the $20,000 mark. <laughs> all in, they're all ugly. The red one that they showed from autocar.co.uk is much better looking than the one that you're showing us. But either way, I'm not a fan of any of this. And again, I don't believe any of it because here we go. $20,000 Tesla. We haven't seen that yet. Wow. Tesla owners are in for a big shock. Well... Um, maybe, I guess. It was weird the way the article was written. It was like, hey, no big thing. It's all good. <laughs> okay, but you're losing a $7,500 tax credit to make your car cheaper. But somehow it's like, no big thing. It's fine. It's all good. Like, okay. Apparently that's happening because the legislation or the rules or the tax credits are available if everything is made in, in country States. and the batteries are coming out of China manufacturing. And so at least the Model 3 and I guess the Y can no longer apply for this $7,500 credit. So what you're saying is anybody looking at a Tesla, it just got $7,500 more expensive. I would think so. But then they keep saying that they've been lowering their prices too at the same time, like another thousand here, a thousand there. I'm like, okay, hokey pokey. Didn't they just raise their prices though? It's like the Christmas time specials where they raise the prices in October by like 10% and then they give you 5% off. So they're still 5% ahead. You gotta wonder sometimes. It's like it's on sale for the regular price. Yay. Many times it's been said that Musk is following the Apple model and we joke about it, but it's true. Think about it. The iPhone blah, blah, blah just came out and it's $93 million. And then next week on Verizon, it's like trade in your old phone for a $360 credit. And we'll give you a new iPhone 14 for the low, low price of $499. Well, how much does it really cost? Is it $1,200 or is it $499 plus my trade in? If they're following that kind of chicanery, none of this surprises me. This whole month is just sort of disappointing. Maybe it's because it's the end of winter. Spring has just arrived. It's still cold. It's still whatever. I'm just like, blah. All the news is blah. We're kind of in the mid-year slump, if you think about it. If all new cars in the U.S. come out in August, September, we're at the mid-year mark. We're cresting it, and now we get to ride the roller coaster through the rest of the summer. So I feel like my expectations are pretty low right now. Lowered expectations. Oh, this means it gets worse. Depends on your point of view. Some people might think this event is good. This one didn't make Collector Car Guide's list of events that Brad talks about every month. It really should have. I swear I would go to this event. Would you really go to this event? The thought of this scares me. Think about the people that go to car shows. Right. <laughs> and then think about them like this. Stereotypes aside, this isn't even static problems. This isn't even stance problems. Okay, the annual, meaning it happens more than once, but only once a year. The annual nude, as in naked, 
nude car show. We're not talking about the cars being nude. Nope. We're talking about the people. <laughs> the best part is this is Wisconsin. Would you have said, if someone just told you there's an annual nude car show going on in August somewhere in the United States, would you have been like, yeah, it must be Wisconsin? No. Florida. No. Florida man. Exactly. <laughs> it gets better. You got to read into the event. Not that I want to see pictures from previous events or anything like that. The Valley View Recreation Club hosts the annual nude car show. For not one beautiful summer afternoon where you can gaze upon the Mustangs and the Ferraris and and everything else that accompanies them. No, not one, not two. Four days of fabulous buns, guns, and tars in the sun. Can you imagine? There must be other activities, because what could you possibly do for four days? Stop, stop, because this is going to go off the rails. (laughs) Other activities? We're playing cornhole. (laughs) Hide the salami. (laughs) Wisconsin's known for cheese. The naked car wash. This cheese stands alone, let me tell you. Anyway, well, if you're interested, folks, August 12th, 2023, this year, find it in a small village in Wisconsin, Valley View Recreational Club. Just don't forget that annual spelt with two N's when you Google that. (laughs) Two N's and you. (laughs) Every once in a while, we got to go there. And this month, we got some rich people things. This is (laughs) like not even rich people things. Like this is Florida man. I mean. It's also lowered expectations. It checks all the boxes. I mean, I feel bad for this person. She's so proud. I, that's why I feel bad. Because I'm like, I'm sorry that you've been failed in life. I know the used car market is insane. I'm impressed that this car didn't show up on Brad's lost and found list. Let me paint a picture for you. It is this beautiful late 90s sea green you know sort of metallic you're not really sure what color to call it it's a ford product you know one of those quality fords from the late 90s but it's not a contour or like a taurus sho or even a mustang no 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 this new proud owner picked herself up a 1998 ford escort for the low low price of 289 dollars a month And how long is this loan for, Brad? Seven years. Can you imagine? Did this car even make it another seven years? 84 months at $289 a month. To put that in real numbers, $24,276 for a 1998 Ford Escort. This thing was worth like $500. I would have rather gone on a long-term loan agreement with Hertz and just rented a car every month for this kind of money. It's sad is what it is. And it's criminal. Exactly. This is predatory lending. Sure, yeah. Sign right here you're not a robot right you gotta check that box almost like payday level scam on this car this person got so taken advantage of it's disgusting hey but they went viral on the youtubes and the interwebs and all that kind of stuff so you don't want to go viral you be like famous this. or infamous look for 289 dollars a month they even put a big red bow on the hood you're damn right they did and look at those hubcaps those look new that has got to be worth something those bows aren't cheap 289 dollars a month cheap it's a good 300 bucks for that bow yes but those people were laughing all the way to the bank it makes me angry how taken advantage of this woman was i mean wherever she bought this from like the piece of crap human being that was like yeah let's do this (laughs) only in florida right because now it's time we move south and talk about alligators and bear Florida man. Florida man. Florida man. 
You know what? It's kind of a disappointing month for Florida Man, and I think it is... The weather. There's a lot of news about alligators right now. Alligators knocking on people's doors. People standing in the water feeding a pork loin sandwich to an alligator. Why would you do that? That sounds like you don't want your arm or the rest of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking like it's getting warmer. The seasons are changing. I mean, it's always the same temperature in Florida, but I guess the alligators also have seasons probably. You know, maybe they're coming out. And so the Florida man is emerging also. So we don't have as much out of florida right now unfortunately but there's some good ones here though and i don't recall if this one was florida or not probably is this picture is unreal it's one of those pictures thousand words and it's a pick up truck i don't know what kind of pickup truck this that's is. that's a ford I, that's a the ford, ford f-150 this error they're all the same ford pickup truck i don't even know what he's got in the back but it's an suv of some sort looks like a tesla and it's sideways and it's in truck bed, roped around that truck bed. I'm impressed. I am too, because the rear springs are taking all that weight, and the front end is still on the ground, and he's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. He's on the move. Yeah, he's going places. As Brad always likes to say, if it fits, he sits, right? In this case, if it fits, it ships. UPS ain't got nothing on this guy. There's so many questions here. How did they load it this way? Who thought this was a good idea? How long are those straps? What's the tensile strength of those straps? What happens the first time he goes on the highway and takes an off-ramp? What is the side of that vehicle is now resting on its side look like? Are there uh-huh. fluids still in the engine? Are they still in the engine? <laughs> I feel like this is a movie and they're filming Transport of Florida. I want to understand. I really Because do. this car, this vehicle, this SUV looks in good condition Was from the visible body panels. Condition. But I can't imagine it's sitting on its side that that looks good anymore. It's a 1-1 scale Hot Wheels. It could be Photoshop. Could be. But I don't think so. Probably not. This is insane. This is like a candid camera shot too. So like someone was like running and be like, get my phone out. He was on his lawnmower in the shoulder. So it was okay. <laughs> wow. Well, this next one hits close to home. We haven't had a, had a Maryland person in a while. Maryland man. Or ever. Maybe this is the first Maryland man. I'm not I, sure. I but think Ed, it might be. It might be the first man. And what a way to come in with a bang. <laughs> because this Maryland man who ran out of gas on an interstate, I'd like to know which one. 695, where all the shit happens. Oh, man. Jesus Christ. Everything <laughs> happens on 695, okay? So he ran out of gas, pulled over, as you should. And he's on the shoulder. Obviously, I don't know. He's waiting for somebody what do you what do you do in that situation do you just merely wait in your car i mean no you probably shouldn't you should exit your vehicle and safely get on the other side of hopefully a barrier or guardrail because you never know when an errant driver will just rear-end you and that would be catastrophic so at least he did step one he got out of his vehicle however he sat behind his vehicle assembled his drum set and just began banging on them drums i love the comment block on this it's so hashtag dad jokes and it's like That's what I call a traffic jam. What possesses people to do stuff like this? Did he want to be a meme? Is that what it is? I mean, I would have loved to have passed that on 695. I don't know. I would have been been one of those double take moments. (laughs) Did I just see that? No one would have believed you too. I would have been like, guys, you know what I just saw? I was on 695 and dude was drumming. He was on the shoulder with drums. Y'all been like, nah, you don't know what you saw. Uh Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. That right there? Right there? So this last one, we actually haven't gone across the ocean in a while. Ooh. So we're hopping the pond and we're going to Italy. Oh, is this our first Italian man? Well, no. So this isn't an Italian man. This is an American man in Italy. <laughs> what did they do to that poor Fiat? Because you can bring the man out of Florida, but you can't bring the Florida out of man. <laughs> I'm not saying he was from Florida, but I'm not saying he wasn't from Florida. Oh, geez. Do not know where he's from. However, he, I guess, rented a Ferrari. Okay. As I'm sure you can do. And decided in Florence, he was just going to like drive it out into a piazza. A piazza that cars don't go into. And just like park it because obviously he's entitled. So. That's a bold move, Cotton. They only gave him $500 ticket. I mean, that's getting off pretty good. If you've ever dealt with European parking and how much it cost, that was probably a bargain. Yeah, they made a big deal that it was a historic piazza. I'm like, everything in Italy is historic. So like, okay, next. Yeah, it's <laughs> all ancient, right? I mean, come on. Be on the lookout. Aaron Ferrari is driving into piazzas in Italy. You know what? He listened to our show. He heard about that other fool that drove down the Spanish steps. Yes. And he got lost trying to find them because he wanted to drive the Ferrari down the Spanish steps like the other idiot did. He said, you know what? Screw it. There's a nice cafe and bistro over here. I'm just going to grab lunch. Forget this noise. But that isn't it for Florida, man. So breaking news for those of you Netflix subscribers out there. A limited series is coming on April 13th of this year. Yes, that's just a mere, what, two, three weeks away. And that series is... Florida man. No, it's not Tiger King rebadged, is it? No. So it looks like from the synopsis and from the preview, it actually has a plot line and the main character and it's taking place in Florida and they're somehow going to bring in a lot of Florida man elements into what's going on and how you ask how one of the shots in this trailer was this woman that I think had like the cigarette lighter in her hairspray can and she turned it into a blowtorch and she was trying to scare this raccoon away. <laughs> and the raccoon like was just sitting there. It was like, what you doing? They're bringing like crazy stuff in like that. I don't know. There's gotta be alligators. I don't know. It could be interesting. This sounds a little bit too much like a reboot or continuation of that show. What was it called? My name is Earl. Do you remember that one? <laughs> That's that's what I'm feeling here. This is like ex-cop who's now like in trouble with gambling. And so there's some sort of like mob thing going on. He's trying to get his life back on track and all this stuff. And he has got to go back to Florida. And then the shit ensues. <laughs> it's like the Florida man version of Magnum P.I. What is this? I don't know what this is. But you know what? Our goal is to watch it before the next drive through so we can talk about it. We will report back on Florida man. The Netflix series. Maybe it has better luck than any of these Formula One shows they've been coming up with. Speaking of which, it's time we go behind the pit wall and talk about motorsports news. As we noted the last time, Kimmy is back with Trackhouse Racing to go drive a Chevy, which doesn't exist next year, in NASCAR. And then there's Jensen Button, and he's signed up to race three NASCAR Cup Series races this year. And I just kept wondering myself, is he already that bored with retirement? Yes. He's done a lot, right? He hasn't done this. That's true. Well, I mean, sports car, whatever. I have my biases. Good for him. I mean, there's been plenty of other Formula One drivers, Juan Pablo Montoya and others that have gone to NASCAR. So let's see what Button can do. He's got to pay for those old Nigel Mansell era race cars at some point. So, you know, whatever. They're not cheap. Meanwhile, in the glorious drama-filled world of Formula Uh, 
the season is officially underway, right? We are two races in and it's not looking good. <laughs> oh, geez. What now? Not looking good if your name isn't Red Bull. <laughs> uh, Although I will say Aston Martin's doing pretty well, though. That's for sure. Alonso has podium twice now this season. For Aston Martin, he switched over teams. He left Alpine last season, got the ride in Aston Martin. In the first race, it was hilarious because in Bahrain, I was dying when it was like turn two and Stroll nearly took him out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, here we go again. He rear-ended him a little bit. He didn't even know. They, I, I think they probably purposely didn't tell him who did it because he had no idea. I think they like told him at the end of the race because he probably would have blown a gasket. No damage, nothing like that. They kept going. He finished third in that race. He finished third in Jeddah. Red Bull won two. The big shakeup was Perez beating out Verstappen taking his, I think, fifth Formula One first place podium. A little drama there with the teams because Max had some issues during qualifying. Something broke or something or other. So he ended up like starting 15th, had to make his way back up through the crowd. He made it into second. There wasn't quite enough time to really challenge Perez and come in first. However, there were team orders to maintain pace. And Verstappen was like, F that noise. I'm getting fastest lap so I can get that extra point and be number one in the championship points two races in and that's exactly what happened they actually gave orders to Perez you're fine just keep your pace and yeah he was a little bit pissed about that so some interesting team orders across all the teams too there were lots of miscommunications there was the penalty thing that happened with Alonso on this one he started on the grid box slightly left and so that was kind of a false start infringement and he had a five second penalty to serve served it under the full course yellow which the rule book is just all sorts of all over the place on if that was legal or not or not and so he finished third and then they took it away and then they reread the rules and somebody probably got paid and so they put him back on the podium so Mercedes didn't get a podium and so there you go he got his hundredth podium he's in the century club on that one in his career and there you go four or five mercedes and ferrari was somewhere <laughs> right behind them in six seven <laughs> they finished and they didn't catch fire that's important those are two things this time unlike in bahrain where leclerc did suffer a mechanical failure and was not able to finish the race so this is progress both cars did finish they were once again in the top 10 so that is good news go for our last time we really dove deep into formula one the tail end of last year we had good news to share about haas you know, they picked up some new sponsors. Now they're allegedly sponsored by MoneyGram. You know, there's a whole episode we devoted to that. But they picked up another sponsor. And no, it's not Gray Chevrolet. And if you're listening, we would like to be sponsored by you. Acai. Like, I didn't know you could be sponsored by fruit pulp that you put in a smoothie at Smoothie King. Acai is whatever. I, I don't know. They, they offered is money. Is that how you pronounce it, by the way? Well, how did you want to pronounce it? I don't know. I'm just, I, I have no idea. I believe it's acai. It is acai. In all seriousness, the parent company Oakberry becomes the official acai partner alongside of MoneyGram to the Haas Formula One team. And I'm like, good for them. You guys are picking up the weirdest sponsors <laughs> you could possibly find. I mean, who's next? Maybe Charmin Toilet Paper will sponsor Haas. Not rich energy. <laughs> Anybody but. 
I didn't even know Oakberry was a thing. I don't even know where their stores are. Maybe they just produce acai for, you know, Smoothie King or some of these other places. I mean, I don't know. There's a whole list of their official sponsors at the bottom. I mean, the ones you expect, Pirelli because of the tires and Alpine Star because of the driving suits and all that kind of stuff. There's some other weird, uh, did you know that they're sponsored by Chipotle? (laughs) No. So McDonald's. Right? I'm not really sure who the Palm Angels are or Open Seas or Hantic Markets. Like these are some really like random sponsors. I mean, I'm sure every team has like majors and minor sponsors, but I kind of just look at the size of the logos, especially on this press release. And like the MoneyGram one is just like, ah, it's huge. But the rest of these, I, I don't know. I mean, if someone's giving you money, you don't turn your hand, right? Never bite the hand that feeds you, except if you're also trying to make money selling stuff to the Russians. Mm. Haas in a little bit of trouble. Granted, at the time, they were selling stuff to the Russians, but they also had Russian sponsorship and a Russian driver. And it was all before the war. And they're very adamant about delineating the timeline. As soon as the war happened, then they cut ties and got rid of the contract and got rid of the driver and everything and stopped selling equipment to the russians do you really believe it i do i feel i I feel like this is i feel like they're just grasping at headlines to just get more notoriety and pick up some other obscure sponsor (laughs) speaking of notoriety yeah speaking of notoriety yeah there's an untold rivalry in formula one that people want to bring to light they want to educate us on the battle between gilles villeneuve and peroni did you guys know this was a thing I, i mean i was a little young at the time that they were racing each other so no i wouldn't have appreciated it It was a thing i wasn't born (laughs) yeah but like nobody even talks about this it it feels like the quietest rivalry nobody ever heard of are we just again to brad's point are we sort of grasping for formula one drama to paint a picture of two guys that aren't even alive anymore yeah i believe this is what they call a slow news cycle ah that makes way more sense well they're gonna make a documentary about it and when it comes out why don't we take a look at it well it's out already the problem is it's not out in this country so Ah. the question will be is if they will put it on the service that we could watch because right now it's on a uk-based service i bet motorsport.tv will carry it or something like that but you got to pay a premium for it popularity in formula one has always been very high everywhere outside of you know the united states essentially or at least in europe very high right so there's more like even them maybe the popularity is even growing right so yes there's probably to some extent people are trying to take advantage of the f1 train and making more of these documentaries but on the other hand like why not i mean this is interesting stuff it's a documentary so a lot of it is real footage put together and that's kind of neat to see the history and how it was back then and all that yeah for sure i mean there's always opportunities to learn more things and that's sort of the point of this show too is it's those un told stories, bringing them to the surface. Everybody has a story. I am curious to dive further into this. It's sort of one of those like, well, didn't really know that was a thing. So let's regroup on this at a later date and share it with our audience and see what we thought about the Villeneuve-Pironi rivalry. I mean, I can't imagine it's up there with Hunt and Lauda or Prost and Senna. Fun facts. Apparently, Didier Peroni's son, who 
I believe he died before he was born. I don't think they were married, but his partner, whatever, named him Jill in honor of Villeneuve. And he works on Mercedes as an engineer on Mercedes F1 team. So full circle in that family. Interesting. Speaking of Formula One, I came across, admittedly, not listened to F1 Beyond the Grid podcast, but apparently they've done an interview with Alain Prost, which I don't know how often he does these, but pretty long podcast because it's almost an hour and I was scrolling through some of the other podcasts, which are much shorter. I have it in my download list. At some point I will listen to it because I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to talk about. (laughs) I mean, when you have the professor on your show, I think you just let him talk. Your 30 minute format goes out the window when you have a a celebrity of that caliber on the show. Yeah, I'm curious too. I hate to say morbid curiosity. I side on the Senna side of that rivalry. I don't know. Maybe we'll learn a thing or two. Brad, your charter this year has been to keep up with WRC news. So round three, Mexico just concluded. What do you think? I'm having a hard time staying interested, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. As I've said numerous times, it's the coverage. I can't see enough of something to really find somebody to like, like to root for or anything. It's, I don't know. I did think it was funny on, you know, what happened to the Fords on Friday, though. Oh, my God. And the cars pulling into Mexico, driving through that little city tunnel and and everything. That was super cool. But I think the only way I'm really going to find a way to get invested in Rally is going to one. That's a good option. I like that. You know, we've been talking about going to Pikes Peak. That's on the docket for next year at this point. It's not quite the same as the World Rally stages, but... I'm telling you right now, if you were to actually watch the full coverage of a rally, you'd be so much more bored than just watching the recaps. And that's not because it isn't exciting. It's just overwhelming. And you would just be like, oh my God, make this three days worth of content stop. That's why I was surprised. Mexico was so action packed, especially since it hasn't been on the schedule in three years. And when they set the stage, they took us back to 2020 and they showed Oit Tanik's crash where he literally put his fiesta underwater and you just watch it sinking from the onboard gopros i'm like this is beautiful like it was so awesome for me and this is again this is just my personal opinion i feel like it's the equivalent of coming into gray's anatomy now (laughs) and missing the entire first 200 seasons of the show yeah that's what it feels like to me i have no frame of reference i have no historical knowledge or background on any of these drivers or anything or rally it's I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm completely lost. And I'm trying so hard. The coverage of the cars racing and stuff is cool. But as far as understanding what's going on, I have no idea. Just go with it. Just embrace <laughs> it, right? And maybe it's one of those things if I just watch enough of it, it'll eventually click. And Mexico was interesting. It's very difficult, as you saw. It was Seb Ogier's race to lose. He's like, what, six-time WRC Mexico winner or whatever. He was going for like one more to like really you know set him over the top all this kind of thing and like we talked about he skipped the last one altogether he's like i don't even need to bother with that so seb was back and to your point the fords were having a terrible friday i mean i love the commentator there's a stage called el chocolate and he goes el chocolate the stage where the pumas melted and i was just like it's so true because every one of them had a failure of some catastrophic sort or another some they could fix you know whatever 
Yeah, the first one was the, the one of the turbo pipes, right? Oh, uh, yeah, Oit Tannic's car. Just, just the, the turbo just stopped working. He picked a terrible place to stop, by the way. I mean, right there with with the dust. He's, he's like basically two or three feet off the circuit. And nobody could see him. Yeah, it was nobody horrible. Nobody could see. It's terrible. I felt so bad for him. By the end of Friday, he was like seven and a half minutes behind. There is no coming back from that. There's literally WRC two cars that are finishing in front of you. Like, that's how far back you are. And I felt bad for him. But then... Here we go. Crash it again, Takamoto. Did you see the roll? He rolled the Yaris again. <laughs> again, this is like the second time in three races. At least he stopped driving this time. 100%. Yeah, he didn't try to go while he was upside down. I don't know if it's bad luck or that just he's more of like a rookie still or whatever, but I'm just like, bro, I can't wait to see him roll it again. I mean, Yari Matilapala has got to be like pulling the what's left of his hair out of his head because these cars aren't cheap. And for this guy to like destroy one, I'm trying to remember his name now, he was like a Scotsman and he would do the same thing every time he came out he would destroy a citroen finally after like six rounds they cut him loose because they couldn't afford to keep replacing the cars and they brought in another driver and all this kind of stuff and i'm like here we go again takamoto if he doesn't get this car on four wheels consistently it's not going to end well for him this year that's for sure and then you got esapeka lappy you're telling me that you can't get into it a goddamn telephone pole landed on him That wreck was out of control. Like it happened so fast and it knocked out the power in the area too. They literally had to red flag the rally. I mean, that's how bad it was because he's in the middle of the road with a U shape in his roof. Basically the roll cage is holding this electrical telephone post from decapitating him and the navigator. But again, it happened so fast and it was so unexpected. He lost the back end of the car and he literally just backed into it at full speed. And and that was all she wrote. It It was just nuts. Absolutely nuts. So on top of that, the Skodas are still kicking butt in WRC too. And whoopie do, because there were so many retirements, you know, and breakdowns and, and failures in this race, Seb won overall in Thierry Neuville podium. It's like, whoa, okay, great. I felt like it was like y'all won by default. And hopefully next time it gets better. I mean, I can't deny that the coverage is exciting, but as far as the championships and the drivers and stuff like that, I don't care about any of them. There's no Volkswagen. (laughs) Well, that's the Skoda. That's in WRC too. I'm rooting for Hyundai right now. They are plagued with some issues because of the new hybrid system, but they were really strong last year and Ford's got a new car and M Sport has generally dominated and I want to see them dethroned. And Toyota's always the wild card. Like they're super consistent they've had the same car forever they're under new management but the gazoo racing team knows how to put together a good race car so it's a good fight between them but i am rooting for the underdog i am rooting for the hyundais in this case i just want to see terry newville get out of his own head and stop blaming the car and get back to driving kind of thing but Lappi, as long as he stays away from telephone poles he might be okay and by the way folks he walked away from that wreck so amazing engineering in those cars to keep those drivers safe that's for sure moving on to IMSA and WEC really quick. I just want to highlight something really, really important. You know, Le Mans is about two months away, thereabouts. There are 16 hypercars in the Le Mans field right now. That's pretty awesome. But you know who's not going to be there? Acura 
than BMW. No. I'm rather disappointed in that. And I wonder if it has to do with their performance at Rolex. And, you know, obviously throughout the season so far, BMW was definitely lagging behind as we talked about and things like that. But all the other major players are coming. Peugeot, Ferrari with the new 499P, Porsche with the 963. There's going to be some fantastic cars running out there. And again, my whole thing about this is I want to see Toyota dethroned. But it's anybody's game, right? It's anybody's game. And we saw some real promise out of Ferrari at the Sebring 12 hours. What did you guys think of that race? So I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah. I did tune in like right after the lead Acura one that was under all those penalties for alleged tire error, deflate gate, whatever you want to call it, issues at Daytona. That car lost a wheel. <laughs> Whoopsies. So unfortunately, they were out. But then what later happened in like the last basically 18 minutes of the race was left was just like carnage absolute carnage and there's a short youtube video that captures the three minute moment if you will and took out like six cars off the lead lap it was insane yeah it it was basically like all the lead cars got wiped out in the last remaining few laps of the race it looked like one of our virtual racing leagues back in the day like it's like such a forza move to do what they did was it a racing incident the guy swerved from one side to the other thinking he was going to take the outside line pass everything everybody on the outside that inner car was moving over one could argue to set up his turn yeah to set up his turn to be where he was one minute the dude's on his right two cars away it's nighttime there's headlights there were a bunch of cars right there the next second dude's on his left and the gap is closing to the grass he goes off he was done there was no way like i don't think he tried to be a torpedo he wasn't stopping (laughs) but the best part it looked like a video game because it was like all that stuff happened in the double bump and the guys in the grass and suddenly he ends up hitting him anyway so you thought you got away from him and nope here he comes and broadsides you yeah and you're not expecting that either so that guy was like probably like the f just happened to me Because he comes shooting through the grass onto the track, over the track, and just T-bones him off the other side of the track. It looked like a Forza round. I'm telling you, it was just, I couldn't believe it. I watched it so many times. I was like, this is unreal. But the only camera angle that really showed what happened was luckily the helicopter view. Because all the other ones were super deceiving as to what happened. Yeah, it made it look like some BS stuff was happening where it was intentional and all this. But like the helicopter view was like pretty clear where it was like, this was an unfortunate racing incident i don't think that guy intended to cause an accident and what was funny is the commentators climbing all over it they finally were like all right we we, got to backpedal we got to retract like everything we just said because we just saw the helicopter view uh so sorry it looked really bad from like in car like track level footage but from the helicopter footage it was like oh damn this was really just an unfortunate accident that created a chaos that's sort of the funny part about those commentators it's sort of like look before you leap on that one (laughs) they were taken by surprise they have a delay in when they're getting the footage too yeah well there's one more bit of motorsports news to share with you and that is the 2023 cardboard classic if you've never seen this before i cannot recommend these videos enough i gotta thank one of our patreon supporters sean for sending this to us every year because i I tend to forget about it but then when it comes full circle i just love it and i gotta say there's one part of this video i think is epic i want to see the build out on this cardboard vehicle and it's at the minute 21 mark these guys built a full 
Back to the Future DeLorean and send it down this ice luge shoot, whatever you want to call it. The DeLorean was epic. That guy spent a lot of time on that. It looked good. I'd hate to send it down and crash down the ski slope thingy. And you didn't even get to see it run. You only sort of got to see it. I did love the working gullwing doors. That was so awesome. I'm like, the amount of detail he put into that to run it down and basically hopefully not obliterate it before it got to the end. You gotta transport something like that in an enclosed trailer. How are you gonna put that back on an open closed trailer? Put it sideways on the back of an F-150. That's how you transport it. It's cardboard. It doesn't weigh that much. Exactly. It'll blow away at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Perpendicular out the back of a Malibu or something. You know, it's all good. If you've never seen these before, I mean, they range from mundane to insane on the scale of these cardboard creations. And they send all sorts of people down on these things. It's just nuts. Where does this happen? Poconos. <laughs> we should totally do this. Yeah, we should go there. I don't I don't think I want to participate. No, 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 no. We should compete. With what? You build a cardboard, cardboard. 914. Cardboard 914. <laughs> Let's see how that it only fits two people. They got some of these that got like a school bus of people going down. Yeah, and then on the other guy, it looks like he's just going down on a sled. Those did the best. <laughs> so there was one where it was like 30 people on a flat sheet of cardboard. <laughs> it's <was> like <laughs> all that weight's real stable, so you guys are winning. <laughs> This reminds me of the Red Bull Fluke Tog. Yes, yes, yes. And to Tanya's point, there's something to be said about simplicity and design. You know what I mean? That flat sheet of cardboard. But yes, the Fluke Tog. I miss the Fluke Tog. It's another reason to watch Red Bull TV. I think GTM needs to commission a vehicle for this. I think we should do it. I'm going to get Project Motoring on this. I got it. I know exactly what we're going to build. Pontiac Aztec. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cardboard Pontiac Aztec. It's even the right color. It's like middle-aged beige. <laughs> <laughs> just like Just like Heisenberg. Yes. On that, we should probably wrap up with some local news and events. Upcoming local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuy.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. So let's see what's coming up for April. The cruising car show season is ramping up with events like Jimmy Cone, Chewy's, the Damascus and Hagerstown Cars and Coffee, all starting on April 1st and 2nd weekend and repeating throughout the season. Air-cooled Volkswagen show will be held at the Zimmerman Auto Driving Museum on April 8th. There are a bunch of Mecom on-time and road art auctions happening in April. The World Racing, the Big John Music Memorabilia Collection, the Jim and Brenda Hoffman Collection, and others closing by mid-April. So get your bids in now while you can. The IMRRC is hosting their 8th annual Model Car Show on April 15th as part of opening weekend right after the Green Grand Prix. And tons more events like this and all their details are available over at CollectorCarGuide.net. That's right. And now it's time for our HPDJunkie.com trackside report. So what's coming out here early spring? Well, the track season has begun. It started as early as the beginning of March here on the East Coast. The time trialers over at EMRA, the Eastern Motor Racing Association, kick off their time trial season at Lime Rock Park on the 1st of April. They've switched up their season this year. They're predominantly running at Lime Rock and Pocono, kind of alternating between the two locations for an action-packed time trial season. Meanwhile, the Washington, D.C. region of SECA kicks off their series of autocross schools on April the 1st with others peppered throughout the year. So it's not just a one-time autocross school if you want to get involved in that. Not only that, BMW Car Club of America is also kicking off their series of autocross schools on the 15th of April. So check out both of their websites to see how you can get involved in that discipline of motorsport. 
As Brad mentioned, the IMRC is holding their eighth annual model car show after the Green Grand Prix, and the Green Grand Prix is in its 18th year and will be held on April the 14th, which is a Friday at Watkins Glen International. I will be personally participating in it with my alternative fuel vehicle, and I'll be live streaming from the track and throughout the event. So tune into our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Grand Touring Motorsports for live coverage of the Green Grand Prix. We talked about legislation earlier, the performance racing industry, PRI, in conjunction with SEMA and others, is working to pass legislation that's one step closer to law in West Virginia, especially at our home track of Summit Point. Virginia lawmakers are working to support a PRI-supported legislation that was established called the Motorsports Responsibility Act, which would define areas of responsibility and assumed risk by participants for recreational and commercial motorsports sports facilities. What this really means is it's going to reduce the liability insurance premiums, allowing racing venues to invest the savings that they're getting for promotional purposes, you know, tourism, other things like that. Hopefully this will translate into cheaper track day weekends, not only for the organizers of track day events, but then the trickle down effect is that because the tracks insurance is cheaper by proxy, the organizers insurance should also be commiserate to that. Again, hopefully making track day weekends a little bit more affordable since the prices have gone up over the last couple of seasons due to COVID and and other things. So to learn more about that, you can check out performanceracing.com for all the details or check out our show notes for the link. We talk a lot about EVs on this show and in the HPDE and club racing world, we wonder all the time, are we going to see more EVs at the track? Every once in a while, there's a guy with a Tesla, you know, they get about 20 minutes and then they got to find a charger and all this kinds of thing. And they have a hard time being out there with the rest of us ice powered folks. Well, there's three tracks in this country right now that are taking a major push into making EVs more accepted at the racetracks, two of which we've run at many times in the past. VIR, Virginia International Raceway, and Lime Rock have made the list, along with Button Willow being at the pointy end of the progress here to make sure that the tracks have more chargers available to folks that want to come and enjoy their EVs on the racetrack. So look forward to more enhancements in the future coming from those locations and hopefully more as we move forward with EVs in racing in the future. The next HOD Southeast event is Thursday, April the 6th at Sebring, while Hooked on Driving Northeast will be at New Jersey Motorsports Park on Saturday, April the 8th. And that's a Saturday only event. And we bring up these HOD events because we want to remind you that as a thank you to everyone that is a loyal supporter of GTM and a listener of BreakFix podcast, Mike and Mona Arrigo from Hooked on Driving are offering a discount all season on HPD events on their schedule. So be sure to use code BREAKFIX23 to receive a discount on your event registration at checkout. So thank you all again for being loyal supporters of all of our efforts. Tune out through the year for more promotions and be sure to get up off the couch and get out on track. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired this month. We started celebrating International Women's Month with Hannah Thompson's episode on the history and evolution of the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte's Glory, the NASCAR Hall of Fame in the Queen City. We continued with our first all-women's What Should I Buy panel, focusing on the new EV car buyer, with returning guests Kat DeLorean from DNG Motors, Sarah Lacey from A Girl's Guide to Cars, Carolyn Ford from Tech Transforms, and GTM members Emily Fox and Chrissy Crutchfield. 
Lauren Goodman took us back to the 1930s with her discovery of racer and team owner Lucy O'Reilly Shell and how she innovated motorsports in France. Dr. Chris Lazat shared her study on autocross, life skills, and the women driver in her piece, Real Racers Turn in Both Directions. Samantha Zimmerman is a fine artist specializing in realism, with the breadth of her work consisting of automotive and motorsports subjects. She joins us from her home studio in San Antonio, Florida, to tell us how she blended her passion for art and motorsports into a blossoming career. And we will round out International Women's Month with an extra episode where we chat with a third-generation SCCA club racer, Taylor Hyatt, and her plans to get more ladies on track. Thank you to all the guests that came to the show this month. We're so excited to be in our fourth season. And if you're tuning in for the first time, you've way too many episodes to catch up on. So just hang in there for more awesome new episodes dropping each week on Tuesdays. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter in the rear view or join us online to continue the conversation and share stories. New Patreons for the month of March. We got to give a big shout out to our newest Patreon supporter because I think Brad made him feel a little guilty. So, you know, Brad, what? Well, you might want to say thanks and apologize at the same time. How did I make him feel guilty? Thank you. Thank you. And sorry to Mark Hewitt, I guess. Mark has been a loyal fan of the show and we really do appreciate as he is quoted as saying, busting out the pry bar and opening his wallet to help continue keep the lights on here at BreakFix. So we really do appreciate you doing that. Every little bit does add up. It really does count and it helps us continue to bring you great content month after month. Yes. And in addition to Mark and the new Patreons, we got some other shout outs. Unfortunately, no anniversaries in the month of March, but we do want to welcome back Logan Ellsworth. You can ping him on our Discord at Lolo and stop by and say hello. And if you'd like to become a member of GTM, be sure to check out the new Clubhouse website at club.gtmotorsports.org to learn more. That's right. And we don't have any special guests, so no thanks. And of course, we do want to thank Tanya, though, for all her hard work on the show, always. And remember, folks, for everything we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available at gtmotorsports.org and to all the members who support gtm without you none of this would be possible the annual two ends alphabet soup <laughs> i think there are too many letters in annual and not <laughs> oh man i'm just gonna leave that there uh, you all can use your imaginations that's it folks uh that's that's a wrap i don't even know how you follow that anymore um sweaty balls well here we are in the drive-through line me and her in front of us, cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sign behind me. I lean out the window and scream, hey, what you trying to do blind me? My wife says maybe we should talk. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. 
As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.